self-driving trucks, savior or scourge for trucking. Hi, I'm Jim Park, and I've been anxious to do this interview for quite some time. This is episode three of season two, and I'll be talking about self-driving trucks with industry veteran Richard Bishop. And yes, I can call him a veteran because he's been dabbling with self-driving trucks since the Berlin Wall came down. He has a Bachelor of Science degree in Electronic Engineering from Auburn University and a Master's degree in Technical Management from the Johns Hopkins University. In the 1990s, he led a U.S. DOT research program studying vehicle highway automation. He started working with the ATA's Technology and Maintenance Council on Truck Platooning back in 2014, and today he operates Bishop Consulting as an Automated Vehicles Industry Analyst. Richard's a regular contributor to Forbes.com on matters related to vehicle automation. He's also an investor and advisor in platooning developer Peloton and an automated yard truck developer called Outrider. You can follow Richard on Facebook at facebook.com slash bishopconsultingglobal or hook up with him on LinkedIn at Richard Bishop Consulting. You can find those links in the podcast notes as well. Needless to say, Richard's pretty keen on autonomous trucks, and he'll be coming your way right after this. HDT Talks Trucking is sponsored by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange. HDTX is a unique networking event for fleets and suppliers that opens doors to long and beneficial business relationships. Go to heavydutytruckingexchange.com to learn more. And if you run light to medium duty trucks, check out Work Truck Exchange. That's worktruckex.com. Hey, Richard, thanks for joining us on HDT Talks Trucking. Yeah, happy to be here, Jim. You've been around this for a long time, so you must be pretty passionate about it. Tell us how it all got started for you. Yeah, happy to do that. Um, I've been involved since 1991 when I uh, was partway through a federal government career uh, with the DOD and decided I wanted to do more civilian things and came over to USDOT. And that's right after the Berlin Wall had come down and, you know, money was moving out of DOD uh, defense into civilian things. So Congress started what became the Intelligent Transportation Systems Program. And part of that was a... uh, a little uh, short sentence that the the department should develop and demonstrate an automated highway system. And um, that ended up becoming my program. Um, and we, we founded a consortium with General Motors and uh, universities, et cetera. Um, and so that, you know, culminated in a very impressive demonstration in 1997 in San Diego. It involved cars and trucks. Um, and then, you know, Congress kind of changed their minds and said, well, maybe we'll do something else with our money. Um, at that point, I decided uh, it was it had been a great run, but I just wanted to, to work on my own. And so I started my consultancy then. And the focus all along has been to uh, keep a big-picture perspective, uh, understand what's happening out there, uh, connect the players, make sure there's a lot of uh, good quality understanding between the different stakeholders. Um, and that's, that's what I've been doing ever since. I sure didn't know we'd been chasing autonomous trucks for that long. Yeah, you'll find, you know, jur- journalists seem to think it all started with Google, but uh, not the case at all. Yeah, it's funny you should mention that. Uh, you must know that trucking is a pretty conservative industry. You know, we're always leery of new things, but open to suggestion. And when all these tech people showed up at our door five or ten years ago with a solution to a problem we didn't know we needed, uh, a lot of us were kind of looking askance at your crowd going, okay, so, like, what do you know about trucking? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I've, I've been involved with trucking in one form or another since, um, I don't know, about 20 years, um, off and on, depending on my clients. And I, so I've been involved with the Technology and Maintenance Council of ATA, and they asked me to lead a, um, a little task force on automated driving and platooning back in 2014, which was pretty early for that kind of topic. And exactly as you're saying, Jim, you know, the even for just uh, the idea of truck platooning, close uh, following, you know, based on B2B communications, they thought we were nuts. Um, but what what really turns or kept it moving was these amazing benefits. In the case of platooning, fuel economy benefits, and then when you talk about driverless trucks, obviously the, the labor benefits. And uh, that's why we, we, you know, even though they looked at us funny, they, they didn't kick us out of the room because... If this can be delivered, it's a very big deal. Indeed, it will be, yeah. So let's start with a 40,000-foot view of uh, where we are today with autonomous and self-driving vehicles. What's the state of the union now? Yeah. Um, in general, uh, thing, things are moving ahead on, on three fronts, the privately owned passenger car, the, the robo-taxi idea, and the truck side. Um, and I won't say much about those non-truck areas except to say that there are driverless vehicles uh, carrying people around outside Phoenix, Arizona now. They're Waymo vehicles, truly driverless. You're the only person in the car if you're the customer. So that's that's driverless in a, in a very limited, constrained situation. The technical term is operational design domain. So it's it's in Arizona because the weather's good. Uh, they picked a certain number of uh, you know a certain grid of roads outside that geofence. Um, they've mapped those roads ahead of time and remapped them, and, and they can coddle their cars to make sure they're working well. Um, and that's where the action is, is with fleet operations, whether it's cars or trucks. And the privately owned vehicles will, will lag all of that. Um, on the truck side, we're seeing truck platooning come to market this year, um, at least from Peloton Technology. They've said that publicly. And um, we're seeing a lot of effort being put into the idea of driverless um, driverless trucks, either driverless trucks behind a lead truck in a platoon, uh, which Peloton, another company, local Mason, are working on, or the idea of a individual a driverless truck. The, um, there's a lot of testing going on now, probably several dozen trucks in the U.S. designed or in development as driverless trucks that are running on the public highways with safety drivers sitting in the front seat and, um, you know, very uh, strict safety protocols to make sure that that's a, um, a, a good operation, a well-run operation. So the tech development's coming on. There uh, has been a limited amount of statements as to when this is coming to the market, but one of the leading companies, Too Simple, has said they'll have the first driver out uh, no, nobody inside type operations starting in 2021. And I think, I think that's legit, um, them or somebody else, because there's, you can sh- always shrink this operational design domain. Imagine an, an interstate highway with, you know, perfect weather conditions and very low traffic and things like that. It may be a very short route, but you can, you can introduce it that way. Um, and I expect companies to do that. Yeah, I, I suspect the environment's going to be an important consideration. You wouldn't want to put these into 
you know, places where weather is going to be a big factor or even uh, high density traffic. My guess is wide open interstates probably the best place for them at this point while they're being developed. Exactly. Uh, you know, in the in the first generation platoon systems, the the drivers will uh, un, un disconnect from platooning if they don't see whether they like, et cetera, or, or the traffic. Um, and the driverless trucks, they'll run where they're capable of running at at the full level of safety. And if that's not the whole country, well, it's not. Um, and so some 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 freight operations will take advantage of it. Some won't. But then, of course, that'll become the competitive and technological discriminator. Hey, we can now run in Chicago in the winter. Whoever can pull that off, you know, they're going to have some success. Indeed, yeah. So when do you think we're, we're likely to see, beyond the platooning, but, a, you know, a fully autonomous, nobody-at-the-wheel truck deployment in some commercial application? Well, we actually already have it. Um, there is a, a company called Einride, E-I-N-R-I-D-E, out of Sweden, that is now operating on a very short stretch of roadway serving a Coca-Cola bottling plant. They have a couple of other projects as well, but they're running on a public road. The Swedish government gave them permission for that. And so, you know, in this, this very sort of tiny footprint and at a very slow speed, they're, they're hauling freight over some short distance. Um, so it, it's very, it's a tiny blip on the, uh, in the world of freight, but it is a start. And similarly, um, a company called Outrider that you mentioned before is working yard automation. So they never, these trucks never leave the private property of a distribution center or warehouse area, and they're moving trailers around on that property completely driverless, including hooking up the brake lines. That's one of their innovations. They have an, a robotic arm that can hook up the, uh, the airlines. So... Very constrained environments, yet it's happening. Um, as I mentioned, I think on the public roads, public highways, we're looking at, you know, within the next year, I think somebody's going to get out there and do it at a very small scale. The real, the important thing, I get asked a lot, the question of when, and that's an inadequate, you know, it's only part of the, the question. It's when and how much, how much does it scale? And, you know, scaling up is really hard to predict. It, it'll probably go somewhat slowly until it's proven. And then given the economic benefits, uh, I think it'll move fast. You know, it's funny. There's a similar discussion going on right now with regard to battery electric trucks. Um, people are saying, well, yeah, bring them on. They're great. They, you know, they're going to save the planet. But there's only certain applications that they work in, that, that they work well in. And, um, you know, in the case of the battery trucks, it's uh, urban deliveries, the last mile stuff. And I think when we talk about autonomous trucks, um, most people would think of an on-highway truck with no driver. Yet, as you mentioned, in those two applications that are already up and running, there's plenty of places that this can happen effectively, safely now uh, that people are overlooking because it's just not what they see in their mind when they think of trucking. Yeah, and it's, it's, it gets to the economics and, uh, you know, where, where's the business case and given that the first wave of this development has come from startup companies who are funded by investors, they have to have a, a big wow in terms of what success looks like. So they're tending to focus on the, the largest market out there, 
which happens to be one of the simplest, which is the, the long-haul interstate highway trucking. Um, we'll, we'll see players sort of focusing in on those, those little niche applications. Um, they might have less horsepower behind them in terms of money, but it's, we'll see that, too, in parallel. The hardest part is between you know the public road between that distribution center and the highway itself. Um, that's some complicated roads and trucks uh, are large and maybe the roads are kind of dinky. Um, Too Simple has said they've got that covered. They're going to take freight from the dock all the way to, you know to the highway entrance and all the way to the the dock at the other end of the trip. Others have said no, nah, we're going to have some kind of transfer yard right at the side of the highway. So. A human driver takes it from the dock to the transfer yard, and then the driverless happens from there. So those things are are out there. Um, there's going to be a lot of variation as to what functions and features are, are being offered early on, which I think is good for the freight industry. Let's have a look at the economic case for the driverless truck. I mean, you know, obviously a fleet's going to save money on labor, Um but how much more are those trucks going to cost than a traditional truck? And what about all the support teams that they're going to need, like refueling and people to do inspections on them before they head out down the road? Um, you know, drivers do a lot more than just keep the truck between the lines. Uh, how do you build the economic case for this beyond, you know, the, the labor savings? Yeah, um, excellent question. Um, I'll give you sort of a, a broad response. I'm not one of those guys that, you know, calculates down all the numbers. Um, I think we, we can imagine um, uh, a driverless truck, let's say it costs twice as much as a, a regular truck today, and I think that it won't cost twice as much. Um, really, I think the this, this support teams, et cetera, will be amortized over a lot of trucks. I think the, the cost of those things will be very minimal compared to the um, – you know, the driver, the avoided cost of a driver. Um, and, you know, and then other advantages such as moving a load across the, the country in, say, two days instead of six days because of uh, no, uh, you know, hours of service issues. Um, I, I think even though there will be, you know, purchase cost higher and uh, some support cost, it's still going to be a, a huge win because of the, 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 you know, the huge level of, of the cost component that the driver represents. So right now, for example, when we talk about fuel capacity on a, on a diesel truck, um, normally the fuel tank capacity is 150 to 200 gallons. Uh, that's, you know, at least a thousand miles, maybe a little bit, you know, closer to 1500 now with the improved fuel economy. Uh, but they know the driver still has to stop two or three times uh, every day. Getting fuel is not an issue. So maybe these trucks have, what, like really big fuel tanks and they just start in L.A. and wind up in New York three days later without ever stopping? I could see that happening, yeah. Um, wow. It depends on the operation. And, you know, in the early days, maybe they want to have stops just to check the systems, you know, have some sort of sure. depot if these are regular runs. But yeah, I think your example is, makes sense as sort of an, an in-state. I'm speaking with automated vehicles industry analyst Richard Bishop. When we come back, we'll learn how automated vehicles see the world, and we'll talk about how these vehicles will eventually be regulated. This is HDT Talks Trucking, and I'm Jim Park. Stay with us. 
Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange is put on by Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine and our host suppliers. Our editors tapped into decades of experience working with trucking fleets to develop this valuable annual event. If you qualify, we'll bring you and a few dozen other fleet managers to Scottsdale, Arizona for a jam-packed session of networking, education, and fun. It all happens in a friendly, intimate environment where you can develop lasting relationships and pick up ideas to make your business more successful. Go to heavydutytruckingexchange.com to learn more. And if you operate light to medium-duty work trucks, check out Work Truck Exchange. That's worktruckex.com. So we're back with Richard Bishop, uh, still talking about autonomous trucks. Richard, let's get into uh, security uh, with these trucks. People have been talking for quite some time about how we're going to keep these things safe, secured, unhacked. One of the questions that I've heard a lot of people raising of late uh, with some of the uh, ADAS systems that are on trucks now, one has to simply pull your car around in front of the truck and slow down and the truck will respond accordingly because it's programmed not to run into the back of the car. So if someone had a mind to, uh, wanted to snag a load of big screen TVs or pharmaceuticals or something, uh, it seems to me it would be pretty easy to, to pull off something like that on the side of the road with nobody in the truck to you know, take control of the situation. How do you folks plan to uh, work your way through that? Um, I, yeah, I think, you know, the, the story about ADAS, uh, where you started there, I think is kind of apocryphal because, of course, with the human driver there, they can back up whatever, whatever they need to do and uh, exit that situation. But as you say, what happens when there's no human driver? Um, there will be a, a, a substantial degree of remote assist or, or monitoring on these vehicles uh, with capability to uh, uh, send back a basic data if there's not a great cell, cell network or extensive data, you know, vi- uh, video feeds and that kind of thing, if the network allows. Um, so, I, you know, I don't have a full and solid answer to you on that. I know that the if, if the, the fleet customers say you, you, we have to avoid that situation, then some countermeasures will be put in place. But that's really all I can say about it. It's very, you know, to me, it's a very theoretical kind of thing, and um, it can't be ignored, but um, I think at an engineering level, there are things you can do. As far as the artificial intelligence behind self-driving trucks goes, I imagine it's probably pretty easy to get the computers to keep the truck between the lines under ideal conditions, just steering it down the road. But when you building systems to manage an infinite number of variables, intersections, uh, different types of radius, turns on roadways, uh, different, different traffic density, even, you know, figuring out the difference between a deer and a human as to whether or not it's going to strike something that appears in the middle of the road. Can you explain in, in lay terms how driverless trucks see the world and how they respond to it? I'll do the best I can. Uh, there's there's really a couple of layers. One is the sort of the more traditional techniques where, as you said, uh, trucks and cars these days can, can read lane lines and, and know where to keep the vehicle laterally, and they can use radar to see basic sorts of uh, uh, obstacles and, and stop. The, um, but there's always a human somewhere in the loop there with today's systems. Um, so when it comes to completely driverless, they're building on top of that with this idea of AI, artificial intelligence. Um, this is a, a 
very technical field. Um, there's different schools of thought as to how to do that. You have to have a, kind of a labeled data to teach an AI system what's what. You know, this is a person, this is a car, et cetera. And these systems can learn very quickly. It's an effective approach, but even that is seen as not quite enough, and there's other methods that are being put out there. Um, the, the great thing is that, as I said earlier, you know, the deployments are going to start with rather simple environments. So interstate highway will learn how the AI um, responds there and the AI techniques will keep getting better. And then gradually we'll move into more complex environments where the AI is more stressed. But it's also important to look at some of the numbers that have been put out there. Uh, Waymo is the best, uh, the best source. Waymo is most known for building robo-taxis, but they're also, they also have a very active truck automation program. Um, and they say they're building the world's most intelligent driver, which can drive a truck and drive a car very well. Um, they've run, uh, what are the numbers, 20 million miles now in terms of just testing uh, on, on railroads. And wow. they've then taken that into simulation so that you can take a certain situation, okay, a guy cut me off and the sun was at this angle and it was raining, or I guess not raining because the sun was out, but you know what I mean. You can <laughs> yeah. take all of those parameters. <laughs> i got to work on my examples here. Take all those parameters, increase the speed of the other guy, put other vehicles on there because it's all in the virtual space. Um, and so you can extrapolate from one thing that was seen in the real world and you know really work it in all these different varieties. So they've done that with something like 20 billion miles in virtual space, and they're not the only ones doing that. So the, the, this software has been extensively exercised um, across a lot of what does happen or even just could happen in the real world. But that's not 100% because we know the real world, you never get to 100%. So that, that's how it's going to go forward. I think what I'm describing is a level of capability that is better than human drivers today. So it depends on where you put your metric. If I'm, if I'm, if I get, if I get this right, when you design, I guess, uh, a set of parameters for the truck to to learn and to understand and to follow a given situation, you know, getting on an on ramp, for example, traffic coming up on the left, the truck merges onto the highway. Is it doing that because it's seen that pattern before and is just following a set of instructions or does the machine somehow make its own decisions in terms of the speed it needs to be at the density of the traffic it's merging with uh is it a repetition uh, of, of a previous experience or is it a brand new learning thing every time that happens yeah it, it's not a repetition it's i wouldn't even I, I wouldn't call it a learning thing i think i would call it applying the learning uh, that's already got, just like a, a teenager, a new driver starts to figure out how to do a merge. The first one's kind of scary. Um, <clears throat> but they have objectives. The objective is, you know, maintain speed and, and get up to speed that matches the highway speed. Uh, you want to occupy this lane you're merging into. You're aware of other uh, vehicles in the vicinity and of their speed, and you're using your own control factors, which is steering, brakes, and throttle to reach that objective. So um, it's, it's acting like we do as drivers. That's scary. 
uh, or as some people do anyway. <laughs> well, maybe a little better. <laughs> yeah. There was a piece that I read I, when I was doing research for this podcast. Uh, it was written by one of the, uh, I think it was the, the uh, chief technical officer of Starsky Robotics, who's since gone under. In an article that, uh, I hope I pronounced his name correctly here, Kartik Tuari. So sorry, sir, if I botched that up. But he wrote a piece basically saying that once this these algorithms reach a certain point, they get so complex um, that the people who created them don't seem to be entirely sure of what they're doing and not even entirely sure that they'll always make the right decision. That's going to have some regulatory implication, which we'll talk about in a minute. But does this boil down to something as simple as saying, as long as the AI-equipped truck, the autonomous vehicle, behaves at least as well as humans do, we're ahead of the game? Um, or does it have to be perfect 100% of the time, like 99.99999, no mistakes ever? What's the benchmark for this stuff? Uh, that's a discussion point across the industry worldwide. So there is no you know, set bench point, benchmark. Um, it's, uh, you know, it, it becomes certainly, you, you can set the bottom pretty easily. It at least has to be as good as a human driver. And uh, some people would, you know, take the, uh, the, the, the likelihood of a crash for a human driver and, you know, reduce that by half or by 10, a factor of 10. So that's being discussed. Um, Again, we're going to deploy these things initially in areas which already have a very low crash rate. Uh, we all know the interstate highways have an extremely low crash rate per, per mile. Um, and we'll, we'll go from there. The, the uh, quote you, you spoke to from the AI expert, uh, yeah, you, you can say that there's some, some domain in which maybe you don't know what that uh, decision is going to be, but it's... Um, it's very, very rare. You know, these these neural nets, as they call them, are characterized uh, very deeply, and they're tested out uh, very deeply. Uh, too simple is one that's testing uh, extremely actively on this, as well as Waymo. Um, so it's not going to be like just rolling the dice. Gee, I hope the truck works this time. It's not going to be anywhere close to that. Uh, but it's like any other piece of, uh, electronic for software, you can never say never in terms of a problem. So expecting it to be perfect one hundred percent of the time. About minimizing that to an acceptable level. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Just to bring a real world example of this onto the table, you wrote a piece last November on the NTSB report uh, into the pedestrian fatality in Tempe, Arizona. That involved a, an Uber self driving car. As it turned out. Uh, a pedestrian appeared in front of this car uh, unexpectedly. There was a safety driver on board. She apparently was doing something on her smartphone, watching television or some such thing. NTSB laid the blame for that crash on the on the safety driver for not, you know, being there to prevent it. In in the real world, you know, optimistically, when these things become commonplace and there are no safety drivers in them, that crash would still have happened. Uh, presumably, what would the outcome have been had there not been a driver there to hang that crash on? I, I would say, the, in a sense, the crash would not have happened because that's 
software was developmental and it wasn't ready to be released into the wild. Okay. You know, you have to think about the, the paradigm of safety drivers. It's, it's so you can try something new in your software or try a new radar for the first time, and you don't know how well it's going to work, but you can rely on the safety driver so that safety is not an issue, and then you can just take data on your system or your software. So certainly that car, in essence, you know, the safety driver didn't react, and that car did hit the pedestrian. Uh, but the software wasn't certified by Uber that, hey, this is ready to operate on its own. So you, you have to keep those things in mind. I, I am of the firm belief that automated driving software has yet to cause any human harm at all. Because in the Uber case, the problem was the safety driver. In the case of Tesla fatalities, that's because the owners of those cars chose to do the reckless thing and not pay attention to the road, yeah. which meant they were endangering the rest of us as well. But the software, I'm not saying it will change tomorrow, but so far the software has not caused any harm. Yeah, the, the Tesla cases, that was all level two technology. It was never intended to... Uh function as a level four, which is what the people were doing with them. That's exactly the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's let's talk about regulations here for a minute. This is going to come into the regulatory sphere sometime sooner rather than later. We've got a set of regulations called the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Standards. Um, they set performance criteria for certain components. Um, brakes, for example, the regulations provide performance criteria in the form of stopping distance requirements, that sort of thing. But the rules don't spell out how to accomplish it. That's basically up to the truck and the brake component manufacturers to figure out. When it comes to setting standards and performance requirements for level four self-driving trucks, how are those standards going to be determined and, and how will the various AI companies prove that they can meet them? Well, in terms of <clears throat> what what has to be accomplished, you know, that's pretty clear now in terms of... Us as human drivers on the road, there's this, this, you know, driving codes out there, codes of law that say this is, you have to stay within these boundaries, you don't have to, you have to do this, et cetera. Um, you know, the, the definition of safe driving is, is out there, and these, these vehicles have to comply with that. Um, so we don't need a new, a special, a special definition for automated driving in that sense. Um, but to, to assert and, and certify that they're safe, I think it will come down to a, a deep articulation of the safety case, as the terminology goes, not just, uh, you know, here's our um, anomalies per million miles and that kind of thing, but what's the process? Have you, you know, there's, a, there's some standard processes out there, um, a standard called ISO 26262 uh, focused on functional safety. And it's very, very mature, used across aviation and other other areas. So those things, those discussions will happen between, say, a uh, Embark, one of the other companies offering this uh, equipment, and some large fleet like J.B. Hunt, just making these up. And, you know, J.B. Hunt's going to want to see that, that data and understand that to their satisfaction. So far, uh, at least with the current uh, presidential administration, the federal government is not asking for, they don't want to be in a role of uh, assessing that on their own because it is so highly technical mm -hmm. and the, it's, it's unique to each company as well. So um, it, it really can't be done 
by the federal government. And in fact, the same has been true for cybersecurity. Federal government knew several years ago when they got into this cybersecurity for cars, there's so many ways to do cybersecurity that relate to your specific design of your vehicle that there's no way the feds can go in there and, you know, study it and figure it out. They have to rely on the companies out there to follow best practices, and that's what NHTSA has done for uh, cybersecurity. At this point, a lot of people still refer to or talk about autonomous vehicles uh, in the context of a solution to the driver shortage. The American Trucking Association is talking about you know, a shortage of as, of as many as 160,000 drivers by 2028. That's, that's an alarming number. Do you think uh, this technology will be a solution to the driver shortage? And, and if so, when do you think we'll start being able to make a meaningful dent in those numbers? Hmm. I think it will be a solution. And, you know, that ATA number, I assume that was referring to over-the-road truck drivers. Yeah, mostly. And then yeah. You've got everybody, you know, delivery drivers, local delivery and distribution, and you've got the yard truck drivers. So it's it's worse than that. Um, I, I believe so. I think that is the factor that is, that's been pushing this whole thing forward uh, economically. And um, I, I think we'll get there. At, at what pace, you know, it goes back to our earlier discussion, how fast will they scale? Um, but the, the need will be there. It, it, that ripples back into uh, what, what's your price uh, per mile for moving freight, um, which is also now affected by shortage of drivers. So it'll get into that space, and, and it'll make a difference. And if your fleet that's running driverless, you know, you're going to eat everybody else's lunch for a while, and that's going to really drive that competitive factors really going to drive this. I think the supply side can keep up. Um, or maybe with some lag, but, you know, the OEMs um, and the other offerers will be able to keep up. <laughs> well, it's going to be an interesting 10 years or so coming down the pike watching this develop. <laughs> That's for sure, yeah. And it's not going to move crazy fast, um, it, but it's, it's going to get out there. We'll, we'll see truck platooning this year on some roads, but you're not going to suddenly see truck platoons everywhere with, with drivers in both trucks. Uh, but it'll, it'll be out there, and then we'll, we'll start to see these, these driverless um, deployments uh, popping up here and there and gradually accelerating. Well, I saw a graphic online, and I think I might have got this from your own Facebook page, but it's from the McKinsey.com. They show a timeline uh, that stretches out to uh, 2027. Um, they talk about constrained autonomy sort of starting to come into its own between 2025, 2027, where they use drivers for sort of pickup and drop-offs, and then 2027 full driverless with what they claim is a 50% total cost of ownership savings when this starts to happen. Do you think that's realistic? Um, I think the, the, the pattern is realistic. I think it'll stretch out longer than 2027. Um, because, as I recall, that's focused on, you know, street operations as well as highway operations. And um, we we may see that again, you know, in street situations that are simpler than some other street situations. But for, you know, sort of the, the truck that can go anywhere, I you know, I think it'll be after 2030 when we, when we see that in terms of, uh, you know, larger numbers of them. Well, I hope I've got enough years left in me to see that happen. It's really exciting stuff, Richard. Thanks very much for sharing your insight with us. 
Oh, you're so welcome, Jim. I've enjoyed the discussion. HDT Talks Trucking is sponsored by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange. HDTX is a unique networking event for fleets and suppliers that opens doors to long and beneficial business relationships. Go to heavydutytruckingexchange.com to learn more. And if you run light to medium duty trucks, check out Work Truck Exchange. That's worktruckex.com. After our interview was over, Richard told me he was pretty comfortable with the pace at which driverless trucks were developing, but he said he wouldn't want to see it going much faster. He pointed to the significant amount of testing that's now underway, and he said there's much collaboration going on between some major fleets, the traditional truck OEMs, and the tech startups. But he's still a little bit concerned about the regulatory climate in the U.S. He says new players can enter that space without significant scrutiny. He said he'd be a little worried if a new AV truck startup entered the scene but didn't follow the highly rigorous and responsible public safety road testing practices everybody else does. Thanks once again to our guest, Richard Bishop of Bishop Consulting. Remember to catch him on Facebook and LinkedIn and on Forbes.com. And you can read more about autonomous trucks on truckinginfo.com. Just type autonomous trucks into our search bar. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. That helps us reach a broader audience. If you found the podcast valuable, please share it with your coworkers and friends on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all the rest of your social media accounts and wherever you go to find your podcasts. HDT Talks Trucking is produced by Deb Lockridge, recording and audio production by Jim Park. Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine is published by Bobbitt Business Media. I'm Jim Park. Thanks for listening. <laughs>